You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Mino Line Media presents Business of the Beat. Hi, I'm Kendra Bracken Ferguson, and I am a founder, brand builder, entrepreneur, and believe in the mantra, Carpe Diem. I created this podcast, Business of the Beat, through my own experience as a beauty executive to talk about, tell stories, and highlight the business of beauty through conversations with beauty and wellness entrepreneurs, intrapreneurs, helping to diversify the industry. This week on Business of the Beat. There are clean preservatives, but I also need to trust her and what she does because she's the expert and I'm just this girl in her kitchen, right? Like I have no science background and she has the expertise and the education that I need to get this to the next point so that I can get on that other level. Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Kendra Bracken-Ferguson, and welcome to Business of the Beat. Today's guest is Barbara Jock, founder and CEO of Jax. But before we get started, don't forget to follow, rate, and subscribe to Business of the Beat on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You don't want to miss an episode, and we love to hear from you. All right. Barbara is the founder and CEO of Jax. Jax is a vegan and sustainable skincare line created for women of color by women of color with the mindfulness towards clean, green, and safe ingredients. Barbara is a yogi, traveler, and mother who has been featured on ABC's WPLG Local TV for her entrepreneurial endeavor as a mom entrepreneur. In her spare time, she enjoys finding fun ways to enjoy the city of Miami. Barbara has been recognized in Miami's top 40 under 40, leaders of tomorrow, and her brand has been featured on Birdie, Prevention, Women's Health, Essence, Pop, Sugar, and Allure. Barbara and Jax are the recent winners of the Black Ambition Prize, and we are thrilled to have her on the show. Barbara, welcome to Business of the Beat. I am so happy to have you on the show. We made it happen. Welcome. Yes, and thank you for having me, Kendra. Thank you. I'm so excited to finally be on the show. This is exciting because you are the 2022 Black Ambition Prize winner. So I'm glad it's happening now so that we can celebrate you. You can tell us everything, but I wanted to start there before we get into all the goodies. And the Black Ambition Prize was created by Pharrell Williams to support Black and Latinx founders. So just let's let's start with that positivity. Tell us about winning that prize. So, yeah, so the Black Ambition um, every year does a, a grant competition where and an accelerator program where they um, award Black and Latin founders anywhere between 15000 and a million dollars to help grow their business and take it to the next level. Um, more importantly, what I learned in the process, number one, this was my first accelerator program, and to be honest with you, but it was such a, 
um, I don't even know what the word is. It was just such a rewarding and challenging um, accelerator program. I believe the program was about eight weeks. Um, and in the last two weeks, um, we were assigned our coach, an individual coach. And um, it was just an amazing experience where it doesn't necessarily feel like, okay, I'm an accelerator program where I'm just doing these workshops. It was a very hands-on experience where I remember I had, um, I was just having, you know, as an entrepreneur, you have those days, you have those days where you're just like, not, you you just don't believe in yourself or just everything is going wrong. And I just, um, I just voxered my coach and he dropped everything to just sit on the call and just speak life into me and to walk me through it so that I can get past that mental hurdle that I was going through. It was just like boohoo crying. Like <laughs> he was like, you got this, you know who you are. And I'm like, yes, I know who I am. But it was just an amazing experience, honestly. And I feel like the Black Ambition family is doing more than just providing funds. They're providing resources and um, opportunities and putting us in places that we ourselves cannot get through without either having a gatekeeper there or having to pay for it, right? And so with that, that is what the Black Ambition is, where they're, you know, just giving away not just funds, but also creating the opportunities for us. Well, and, you know, I love how you talk about it because so much of it is do we have access what are the gateways to help us get to resources that we otherwise wouldn't have and how does that help us and sometimes that that's all it takes you know we talk about this notion of black founders i'm a three-time black founder as well and so much of it is did i have this family did i go to this school can i unlock this and so whenever you have that opportunity, it changes everything. And the, the other thing that you mentioned was like having those days. As founders, the highs are high and the lows can be really low. And we talk about that a lot on the show. And talk about just kind of the importance of mentorship because I've spent so much time, you know, I have Brain Trust Founders Studio and that's one of our core pillars. And so being able to pick up the phone, dial a friend, um, talk about the importance of that, just in terms of your own founder journey and how you also participate as a mentor. Yes, I've always known how important mentorship is, right? I think, well, for me, coming talking from my perspective, I have a communications background in, from corporate, particularly the not-for-profit sector. And one of the disadvantages, I think it took me the longest time, the hurdles for me was that I didn't come into the beauty industry with the connection. And so I started from the ground up, right? Or I am starting from the ground up. So I'm having to take the long road. And finding mentors in the beauty industry is very challenging because even though it's huge, it's very tight knit and it looks a particular way. And with my target audience being black women or even justifying, explaining why there's a need for products for women of color, it's even more challenging. And it's and I'm sure you've seen on the landscape in terms of the beauty industry where it has just been probably in the last two or three years where there's now an emphasis or the importance or um, of even have seen creating beauty products for black women. And so trying to find um, a mentor in this industry has been quite challenging. And so it's kind of like you're making the mistakes. And as a small business owner, making those mistakes, it's in the form of time and money, right? But then also, it's also kind of, I'm thinking it as a, a mental thing because as a person where you've spent all your time and energy 
investing into this business, it's also kind of like a blow to your to your self-esteem. And so having the right mentor that gets it right, um, that can help not, not only open those doors, but help you avoid making those mistakes, but making those right introductions, but also giving you the time and the space to be in those feelings, but not sit in it too long to remind you why you've got started and who you are and the role that you play in that industry is very important. I mean, that's the biggest piece, right? It's, you know, we have to give ourselves the grace and the time to say, this is hard and I'm upset today and it didn't go right. But Mm -hmm. then ability to get to the other side. And that's really where it becomes so important because we're going to make mistakes, but how do we, say, what's the ecosystem that I need to help me evolve past that? So Barbara, I'm so excited. We have this segment called Rapid Fire. It's fast, it's quick, and your segment is called Barbara Brings. So I'm gonna ask you some questions, fill in the blanks, ready? Barbara Brings, yes. (laughs) Okay, Barbara brings blank in her bag wherever she goes. My cell phone. Ooh, okay. Because everything, you can do everything there. You can shop, you can read, you can talk to people. It's great. Okay. If we ask your friends and family, they would say, Barbara brings blank to the family each and every day. Um, Barbara brings blank to the family each and every day. Um, laughter. Enjoy. Ooh, nice. Laughter. And a little bit of bougie. I would also say. (laughs) (laughs) We can't get away from the bougie and it is okay. It is. That's what they always tell me like, okay, Barbara. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right. And the last one, since starting Jack's, I have brought blank to my customers and community. I will say joy again, only because there are emails that I get from our customers where they finally, they feel like they finally have found a product brand that they see themselves in and it is formulated specifically for their skin types. And the most joyful letters that I get or emails that I get are probably from my older demographic because I feel like they, our our age group, I don't know, I'm assuming, right? I feel like are the younger generation, we've seen women of color in the media, but then the older generation who have lived in a different time where it's it's a bit new to them and being able to see themselves in our marketing campaigns and understanding and seeing pro- have finally having products that are formulated to address their skin concerns is the most joyful. I feel for them and me because I feel like I don't have to explain it. It's for us by us. Um, and we get it, you know, they get it, we get it. And I'm not having to explain like the why, Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. Like, first of all, I love your answer. Cell phone, laughter, joy, a little bit of bougie goes a really (laughs) long way. Um, and joy to your customers. And you bring up something so interesting about the generational aspect. We talk about Gen Z and you know, millennials, all these different things. But you touched on something really interesting. The older generation hasn't had the opportunities that some of the Gen Z opportunity has had to see themselves. And so you've infused that and you're bringing that to life. Mm -hmm. And even generationally, you're a mom as well. So you are already 
you know, supporting the next generation. So, so let's kind of go back on this, talk about your family, your life, um, the generational influence that had on you to, to get you to this point. Yeah. So, um, my family is from the Caribbean. I live in sunny South Florida. (laughs) I'm located in Miami and Fort Lauderdale area. I have a daughter. She's an, she's a preteen. So I'm going through it right now. And, (laughs) um, and how I got here. So one of my fondest memories. So when my mom came from the Caribbean, she came from Haiti. Um, what she did was she was actually working as a housekeeper at the Ramada Inn right off of um, MIA airport. And she was having a hard time because while she spoke other languages, um, she was having a hard time learning English. And what my my aunt and her did, my aunt flew in from New York because I have a lot of family in New York. We migrated to New York and then we kind of, our family migrated down to South Florida. They enrolled in a beauty school here in Hialeah Mm -hmm. to learn English. And as a byproduct of that, I was, I was my mom and my aunt's doll, like to play and hit with hair and makeup for their class exams. And so growing up in the 80s with my mom experimenting with braids and then makeup and then haircuts, it was so bad. So the point I remember having a second grade teacher, Miss <laughs> Washington, and I've always had a lot of hair. And she was like, Barbara Jean, I'm going to write to your mama because you're like, she, did she cut your hair? She gave me a bob. And she be planning your hair too much. Like she wrote a letter to my mom saying, "Stop planning her hair." Like literally. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love that. The joy of it, because on Easter, of course, I was a little girl. The only time I got to wear makeup, being like seven, eight, nine, ten, was during the holidays, like holidays, like during Christmas and Easter. So I got to wear makeup to masks, you know, on the Sunday to go to church. But that came with bad hair days as well because she was, you know, experimenting. Um, but <laughs> I love this. But I got to watch. I got to because my mom was very in. She's very. She was very into the American culture. And she came here really young, and so I got to watch her, you know, enjoy the different trends, right, of the black culture, the nails, the hair. And also my aunt, who's extremely, who's the opposite, who's the conservative part of it. And I got to see that as well. And so that was beauty for me in my home. It was always a part of my life. And even when she, you know, graduated, she started a little bit in the um, hair industry, but then she left to do um, import, export. But it was always a part of my childhood growing up where I was always at the hairdresser. I was always with her every, my fondest memory of my mom, cause she's no longer with us. She's now an ancestor where every, we're both born on the same day. And on her birthday, every year she would come, she would wake up one morning and then come back a whole different person. Like she would spend the whole day shopping, getting her hair done. So one moment she would have a short haircut. Another moment she would come out with a blowout with long nails <laughs> Gold tea. It was just joyful um, in terms of beauty for me in my childhood. Wow. It yeah. was joyful in terms of beauty. And, you know, it's, it's, I love how even you talk about your mom and you say she's an ancestor now and the impact and the imprint that she had on your lives. I think we as parents, um, I think we see it now that we have children and like everything we do they're watching, but you just don't know how it's all going to turn out. And so it's such a beautiful story. 
Yeah. And I think also what I love about my childhood was that my mom, most Caribbean families are very conservative and very strict, but my mom was very, she allowed me to play in beauty. So I, I, I remember there's a, a very famous um, flea market here in um, like a predominantly black city called Liberty City here in South Florida. And we literally lived like across the street from it. And that's where you would go get your hair done. You would get your nails and you buy jewelry. And I remember being in a fifth grade and she had some, I don't want to say goals, but like the gold frames. And I was just like, I want, I want goals. And she was like, no. (laughs) (laughs) Too far. Always wore nails. She hurt. She always had her nails done. And I was like, I want long nails. And she was like, no. But she took me to the flea market to get like the gold caps with my initial on it. And so, and I would also have like the dollar press on nails. So every week I would get a new set. I would save my little two bucks for the nail and the glue. And I would stay there for hours on a Saturday afternoon after I did my chores and kind of do my own nails, play with the colors. It was, she allowed me to find myself in beauty, you know, in a way where it was still very adolescent, like, cause she knew it was going to pop off in a couple of hours, but it was still, I would lose the cap. Right. Um, but it, <laughs> she still allowed me <laughs> to have fun, to have fun in it where it still wasn't like, overly done but okay you know you'll ask for a certain hairstyle and she's like no but I'll give you a mini version of it you know like a a little girl's version well how do you see that playing out kind of with your own daughter because I do think there's a freedom of expression like beauty is fun and it should be fun and it is balancing you know it's a balancing act but how has that just informed you like as a mom with your own daughter so one of the the core of Jack's when I originally created the collection, I had just had my daughter. And one of the things that you know when you after postpartum is that you you start to lose yourself in taking care of the child or taking care of the home. And in the process of that, I wanted to um, create a collection that reminded you to pour back into yourself to take time for self-care. And so what that has done is with her watching me over the years, being at a lot of the local events with me or being at shows and seeing me work every day, she understands self-care. Like to the point where even in elementary school, she has her own self-care regimen and she's teaching me new ways on how to use the product. It's funny because I'm like, what are you using this for? And she's like, after I put on my moisturizer, I then put in the toner and I press it into my skin. I'm like, who taught you this? She's like, I did. So it's kind of like, when we were young watching our grandmothers or mothers or aunts getting ready. And then now what, she, what I feel like this generation has done that they're watching as well, but then they're making it their own. Mm-hmm. And for her, she, it's surprising because I've always dreaded asking her the question, like, what do you want to do when you grow up? Because that's, that was always like asked to me, asked of me. And instead of it being, I'm like, I would say, Oh, I want to do this. And they're telling me, no, you're going to be a doctor or no, you're going to be an engineer. Right. So I want her to, I've always wanted her to have, to figure out what she wanted. And when I finally asked her, she was like, duh, I'm going to take over the business. And I'm like, oh, oh are you? And so I, so much so even with her friends, like when she has her sleepovers or she's talking about her mom, they all know that I have a skincare brand and they're, she's always asking me to make baskets for them so that because they're going through their, you know, they want their skincare regimen. They're always asking her like, why isn't your face breaking out? She's like, my mom's products, you know, <laughs> <laughs> so for her, I see it, yeah, as, 
you know, she, I see her taking pride in it as well. And now she's at an age where she understands what beauty is. And I feel, I feel like she also understands like our brand positioning. Cause she, she's just discovered TikTok and she's like, mom, like you need to get on TikTok. Like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh I'm like, gosh, okay. you have like your own like focus group, <laughs> um, consumer, social media group. How old is she? She's 11. Yeah. Oh, wow. What an age. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. Like, even we keep talking about the generational piece and kind of the inspiration from your mom and to have your daughter say, I'm taking over the family business. That's why I said, duh, because my eight-year-old loves to be like, duh, mommy. And it's like, <laughs> of course I'm taking over the business. Why do you think I'm here? Like, you're building generational inheritance, generational wealth and generational mm-hmm. legacy. And do you, will she have a summer job interning in the business? She's asked me, it's funny because there are times where I will have her at the office or at the workshop work, working with me and she refuses to work without getting paid. And <laughs> yeah, mine too. Mm-hmm. She refuses and she, she has like a, like how much she wants to get paid. And I'm like, that's how much other people are getting paid. And she's like, your point, like, I need my money. (laughs) Be proud, mom. Be proud. She understands the importance of her value, her worth, her time. Yes. I'm like, okay. Okay. You'll get, you'll get paid. So yeah, I, she, she, I want her to do summer and summer, summer jobs with us, but I also want her to work other places so that she can see how other businesses run their business. I feel like it's important for her to see to see it because, you know, every every business has a way of doing things. And I want her to explore and get exposed to other businesses and other dynamics and other um, ecosystems. And um, what's the what's the word? Um, Cultures so that she can come in and put her own footprint on it or provide some type of feedback. Yeah. And I think that that's it's interesting. We had Joni Odomon, who is the president um, CEO of First Line Brands that was created by her father over 30 years ago. Wow. And she talks about leaving and going to PNG and the knowledge that she learned and then getting to a place and saying, I want to bring that now back to my family business. And she was able to bring the learnings from these big institutions into her family business and then expand it. And so there is so much to be said about experience, knowledge gaining, as well as knowledge sharing. Mm-hmm. And what we learn, you know, I think it takes us back to mentorship, what we learn when we go outside of what we know and our comfort zone to build the business. And you've really been able to do both because you've taken your Caribbean background and exotic ingredients and cruelty-free packaging, and you've infused that that you know with a space that is also very new. It's one thing to be a fan of beauty products and hair. It's another to create them. So talk about kind of that experience going from, I love this, to a business owner creating products, and especially with the lens of keeping your culture, but then expanding into other cultures. Yeah. So one of the things in terms of like how I started, I've always been into natural products. I've been natural since 2000. Actually, this month, this week, I celebrate my natural hair journey. Um, 
um, where I was, it was like, like my first month in co at college at UCF and I shaved off all my hair and my family thought I was going crazy. <laughs> You're like, no, I'm not Britney Spears. I'm just no, getting into my culture like, and my hair texture. Yeah. They were like, does somebody break your heart? I'm like, no, I just, I just want to, I just want to, you know, embrace my curls. But, um, and so being during that time in the early 2000s, you know, it kind of natural hair wasn't a thing. Right. And so you I've had to um, kind of make my learn how to make my own products using ingredients that were in my kitchen that evolved into me, you know, in terms of the base of my love for natural ingredients. And then fast forwarding where moving back down to South Florida learning the ecosystem here, the natural farms that I'm surrounded by, um, and then growing up in South Florida where there's diversity everywhere, but then you have the subgroups within the diversity where you have your Caribbean, you have your, your Latin community, then you have the whites, and then you have just everything in between. And growing up in an environment where, you know, one day you could be eating rice and beans, another you could be eating yucca fries, another one you, it's just, it just, you know what I mean? It's, it's just who I am. I, I say at heart, I'm a girl from Miami. Um, I, you know, I understand Spanish, I speak it, but it's just who I am, right? And so with that background, being able to pull that from and utilize it in our formulations. The other thing is, I will say, before I run on a tangent, I think the most important thing is going from being an at-home alchemist to then working with formulators. And an at-home alchemist is someone that, you know, tinkers in the kitchen making their own products and then working with formulators and understanding the dynamic and the importance of preservatives and understanding how science plays a major role um, in the end results so that it's not just, oh, I made this but it's natural and organic, right? But also the shelf life and also the efficacy and the testing that goes behind it so that it says it what it does and that it is actually result-driven with, with it being science-backed. It wasn't easy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <It> was, <laughs> to say the least. To say the least, right? But we, we're, we're still, I feel like every day it's, we're in the process because I'm like, oh, ingredient, what do I do with it? But um Understanding that there's a start and then there's an end point to it, right? It's interesting um, when we think about, you know, the, the at-home alchemists because we have seen such great success from people who have started things and then expanded. And understanding that point when you have something and you need to bring in formulators, you need to bring in science to get to the end. And when you were going through that process of even figuring out formulators, we have a lot of people that listen to the show who are at home at but it's figuring out how do I find the right formulator? How do I trust that person? What uh -huh. was kind of your process in ensuring that you kept the integrity of what you wanted to create? Fortunate for me, I met, a, I met my chemist at um, an industry event and she walked up and introduced herself to me and she was explaining to me, she was just telling, she was a fan and she already understood the ethos and I, how made and made and understood how important it was for me to make sure that it was still vegan and clean without compromising the formulation. So I formulated it and she kind of went through it and tweaked it and made it um, what it is. 
Um, and so working with her was made me, you know, of course, having multiple conversations because it wasn't like I went to her immediately. It was a year long process. And I, I went back and forth like, oh, my gosh, you know, should I do this? How does it? Will I still own the formulation? Like, what is it? And she's like, this is your formulation, Barbara. It's OK. You know, um, but being able to just release that control or um, so that she can make it better so that we can be a better brand. It, it was difficult. And even now working with others, it's it's I still go through it where that's their sense of fear. Maybe this isn't the right person because you're going to run into chemists or formulators that it may not be the right fit. And that's OK. Um, but just making sure that, you know, you feel within your spirit that it's the right fit and that you both are on the same page when it comes to what the end goal is. And there's not a question of, I just want to say, I know that there's also individuals or formulators that think, oh my gosh, you're going to steal it. But that's why you have the legal documents there. And majority of the time, chemists don't want to be brand founder. They don't want to produce products themselves. Um, they're, They're there as a tool to help you along your journey, you know? It's so true. And and there's a few things, because I was actually going to have you follow up on that piece, because there is sometimes this fear that, oh, my gosh, I can't bring in anybody else because they're going to steal it. And you're so practical. You're like, well, that's what legal's for. So make sure that your legal documents are intact. And then we all have a role in the beauty ecosystem. There's the manufacturers, the distributors, the chemists, the founders, the creators, and the formulators, and the marketers. And I think that it's finding your brain trust of people who can help fill in the pieces that you don't have and that we all have a different expertise. And it is, it's what you said. It's like figuring out who's the right person for you. And whenever you, you met this woman, where were you in your own journey? Cause it takes so much to even get to a place where you can create the initial renderings of your own formulas. So the w- one thing about me is like, once I started learning how to formulate, what started it all was soaps, right? So I started formulating soap bars. And when I start to have an interest in something, I start to become obsessive with it. So it became my hobby, but it was, I was, I was obsessed because I, I love information where I literally wouldn't sleep because I had a young baby. And the only time for me to do my hobby, because my hobby was also therapy for me. I'm sure you've heard soap making is very therapeutic. Um, and I would do it in the wee hours between the time my husband and my daughter were sleeping. So when I put her to bed around nine, 10 o'clock, and then I would spend an hour with him and he would go to sleep. I would act like I was going to bed and then I would wake, get out of bed. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, girl. (laughs) Like, what are you doing? And I would stay up till like three or four in the morning, just researching. I would read medical journals. I would look up formulations just so that I would understand what I was doing so I can get it right. And especially ingredients. And I was, I'm also very competitive where I had family members that would say, can you do this? Or, well, this product is not as good as this. So I would try to make formulations that would be products that was on the shelf. Right. And so when I tell you the formulations in terms of the cleansers, the moisturizers, the everything, it, it, it didn't happen overnight. Each product took about a year for me to formulate. And then it took another few months for the formulator to go through it and test it herself. And so with that, you know, I was maybe about year, yeah, three or four. And I was just minding my own business at this conference, you know, (laughs) and she walked up to me. It was a very intimate conference and we stay connected. 
and she was trying to sell me on her on her expertise and i just i was very apprehensive and I, I got to a point where I needed to get beyond the shelf life because she was the one that explained to me also the importance of um, shelf life and understanding the connection between science. Because we all, I think when you're, there's different levels when you're in the natural industry where you have, I call them the green, the yellow, and the, the expanse where you have the individuals that are like no preservatives, period. But now we're at a point in science where we have plant-based preservatives and understanding the importance of the society that we live in that where you go from production, manufacturing, shipping, and the different systems that it go through. Like if it's being shipped from South Florida to Washington, like what does that look like in a truck, the 16-wheeler and 18-wheeler and the heat that's within it so that the customer can get it in a way where it's intended to, the end product is intended to, to, to be. I needed to process that in a way where, okay, there are clean preservatives, but I also need to trust her and what she does because she's the expert and I'm just this girl in her kitchen, right? Like I have no science background and she has the expertise and the education that I need to get this to the next point so that I can get on that other level. And so trusting her and working with her where I literally would call her and be like, I would wake up in the middle of the night and I'll I'll call her the next morning. She's like, no problem. I got it. Or to the point where I was just like, she would actually call me with ingredients and say, this is what I think we should be using. Um, Because she understood the brand to the point where I didn't even need to explain it to her anymore. She was coming up with products for me. And so, yeah. Well, and that's such a great relationship. And I'm so happy for um, our founders to hear that. Because there's the point in any relationship where, you know, it's a fit, it's not a fit. And sometimes mm-hmm. you stay on too long. So as as people are thinking about bringing on formulators, like, what's that relationship? Did they, did they understand the brand or are they trying to change the brand to fit in what they want to create? And that's the part where we have to really stay true and understand what's important to us and what our, our non-negotiables are in terms of the ingredients. And then we start to understand when someone's calling you and it's spot on, you get it. And if they try and take you off of that course into ingredients that don't work, I think there's so many opportunities to work with people who will get it right. And so kudos to you. <laughs> I will also say that now we're in a, we're at a place where finding the beauty industry has grown so much and it's a lot more transparent, right? Where you can actually... There's certain organizations or even LinkedIn where you will find formulators that are looking to work with founders to formulate. And it's a much and I would say it was probably serendipitous because it was kind of like right where I needed. She came right when I needed her and I didn't even realize it. But now you can just there's so and then there's also like scientists and formulators that are actually um, what is it? Influencers that want to work with brand founders um, and help you know, help direct them in a way where, you know, it's to help them along their journey and help them with their business. So I think it's a lot easier now because you could just line in someone's DM and say, hey, you want to check on a quick call? You know, and you can actually vet them, right? You can actually vet them in a way where, okay, this person gets it. And so, yeah, I think it's a lot easier now. Yeah, I, I agree. We're going to have um, 
um, holistic beauty group on as well. And they do so much great work. And so it's interesting. It's funny, Robin, how you say like, you can just slide into the DMs and you really can. I mean, I think that that's where the efficacy is so important that you talk about because there's so many opportunities to create brands and you have a longstanding brand. Like you have been in it. I love how you say that this didn't happen overnight. And so you've also expanded into retail. So talk about that experience. I love going to Target, seeing everything. <laughs> so talk about this journey into going into retail. Why, why did you decide to, and how was that process? So, Honestly, in the beginning, I didn't, since since Jack started as a hobby, I honestly didn't see it being the business that it is now. Um, I just thought I'd do this moonlighting on Saturdays and Sundays, right? Um, and I was content with that, working my corporate job. Fast forward to the future when I started thinking bigger about the brand and understanding who my target audience is and where they purchase products. If my target audience is the everyday woman, you know, the first thing that I think about is, you know, retail and how accessible it is so that they are able to get it. But that doesn't necessarily mean that I will get on those shelf spaces because it I've always saw, seen it. Whereas, you know, you had to be this huge, big brand in order to get there. Um, I think the landscape of the beauty industry has changed where. Now smaller brands are getting there and or you just have to know somebody to get to get on the shelf. Right. And it really wasn't um, I just didn't know how to go about doing it because I didn't know anything about bro beauty brokers. I just I just was just building the brand on Instagram and Facebook the most organic way possible. And if you go down my pages, you'll see that. Right. You'll see how I was wrapping the, the products in craft paper and ribbon from Michael's, you know, and the evolution of the brand. And it took a while, but I even remember getting the email the bought from the buyer. She's not there anymore and getting it multiple times. And I thought it was spam. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like, you know, when you get spam emails and then, you know, I've gotten a lot of those spam emails, jump on the call, and it was somebody who wanted to either buy their business or somebody, like a telemarketer, and, and I'm just like, okay. So I'm like, okay, I'm not entertaining this email. And she called me, and she was like, Barbara? And I'm like, yeah. And she was like, this is such a such from Target. And I'm like, really? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> like, are you for real? And she's like, yeah, I sent you two emails. I was like, yeah, I saw it. I thought it was spam. And her telling me like, hey, I've been watching your brand grow online. And, you know, she gave me some feedback, but she was like, I want to jump on a call with my buyer. And I think you'd be a great fit. And the, honestly, the first call didn't go too well. I thought it went well. But what, I, what I'd learned from that was that I needed to get certain things in place in order to get ready. Right. Because I was still manufacturing a lot of the things in-house and while we were doing a lot of units like 15 and 20,000 units for the beauty boxes um, retail is a different beast right um, and so understanding that and having things in place and I needed to be not just financially ready but also mentally ready to get into that space because you know it's not cheap but you also have to maintain that momentum um, even when they're not looking and they're always looking. Um, and so for me, getting retail ready, it took a while because I think it was like two years after that call where another brand founder was like, hey, I think you should jump on this call with this broker. 
And the broker told me she had already seen my brand years before when I first started. She's like, you have an awesome brand. Like, yes, let's make this happen. And so that's where it's, that's where it started. It's the learning piece from that first call to where you are now and the convergence of the financial and the mental. And we say to founders, like, it's the grass isn't always greener in retail if you don't approach it correctly. In some cases, it can make or break your brand. Mm-hmm. And so I like how you even talk about the time between that first call, getting your decks in order, understanding the machine that it is, and then saying, okay, now I'm ready to come into it. And there's nothing wrong with outreach. I tell everyone LinkedIn is a fantastic tool. Use it right, use it well, um, and be efficient and understanding like, the deck, the approach. And it's, it's a test and learn to see kind of what mm-hmm. people are going to respond to. You know, I think while I was in it, I didn't understand it. But looking at it in hindsight, you know, I really wasn't ready. Oftentimes, I think we think we're ready and we're not, um, especially if you don't have the background. Um, like I said earlier in our call, like I didn't I don't have that beauty background. I don't have those connections. So I'm coming in from the ground up. Um, and while, you know, I can craft up an amazing email, you know, with the buyers, they don't have a lot of time and they're seeing all these different brands. So it's kind of like, how are you capturing that their attention in a way where it speaks to their numbers, to the sales, to X, Y, and Z, to the, to their, to their pain points, because at the end of the day, it's still a business. And yes, beautiful pictures are great, but how are you moving? Um, how are you moving these products and how will you move the products? Right. Well, and it's how are you and how will you? Because it's one thing to get in, it's the staying in. And that comes into how will you move the products? Mm -hmm. So what is, what's next for you? Like, what are you seeing for Jax? What are you seeing in the industry? What are you excited about? Um, Let's see, what am I excited about? I'm not going to lie to you, I'm not in the headspace right now because I literally had to force myself during Christmas break to unplug. Um, I'm just trying to, um, get money in terms of just trying to, to help grow the business. And we're at this sweet point where, you know, we're, we're here, you we're, we're coasting, but we could definitely be doing better if we had the capital to help, um, grow the business. And so that has been my focus lately in terms of 2022 and 2023. I'm sure, you know, as running, running the three, the three businesses, Raising capital is just um, very competitive because you know you need you need to spend a lot to to be able to cut through the clutter and um, you know get in front of our customers in the right way and grow our direct to consumer um, e commerce site and and kind of build on different retail partnerships and expansion and in order for us to do that we need the capital you know yeah, yeah. it's really interesting with beauty um, and how far we can go bootstrapping to kind of prove it, to get in the market and build our customer base, and then the bridge into the next wave of what that looks like. Mm-hmm. And so there's a whole conversation that we can have on capital. And I always encourage founders to think about like, what do you need, not just now, but in the future? How do you scale? And then all of the differentiated sources of capital. You know, it's not just about venture. It's not just about angels. It's not just about debt. It's not just about pitch competitions, but holistically, what are the, what's the capital that you need? What's the right capital? And then how will you put it to work? 
in terms yeah. of driving numbers, because you're right. It, it, there is, there, there comes a point in a brand where you have to decide. And then that decision will determine how you move forward and how you expand. Yeah, that was very well said. I think oftentimes, I think where, where I'm at is everybody's like, oh, VC, VC, VC. But, you know, it is, I know, like you said, I know that that's not the only form of, of capital, but then also bringing on the right um, team to help us fill in those, get the gap where we're at, not just monetary, right? Um, but also because I feel like when you're bringing on, whether you're doing VC or angel, it's kind of like you have not a boss, but someone that you have to answer to, right? Um, like every call is going to be like, okay, what's, what did you do? You know? <laughs> um, and you can't say, well, uh, my daughter got sick, so I got to go pick her up right now. Let me, you know, it's, it's not one of those. Um, and so it's, you have to, but then also not just, okay, cut me the check. So it's kind of like finding that right balance of finding the right person or company. But then also one of the questions, I think one of the, the um, underlying thing that happened during Black Vision Week when we were there in Virginia, someone kept asking me, well, really, do you need capital? And um, another person said, well, do you want to be the king and queen of this small empire or do you want to grow something that's so much bigger than you and then figure out how are you going to get there? And then the, the, the vehicles that you're going to use to get there, right? Because you may not necessarily need the capital. It just depends upon what your end goal is. Well, and that clarity is so important because it does dictate everything. And, you know, we say there's a lot of amazing brands that are fueling the economic advancement of the beauty industry that are not necessarily billion dollar brands. Like the ecosystem needs all of the brands. And so it is where are you? There's brands that are content to sell for a million to three million and they've done it, they've made it, and that's what the founder wants. And then there's brands who, you know, as we have just seen, congratulations to Mayel being acquired by PNG. And so, you know, we think about that, we think about that kind of what do we want? What do we see? What does the market need? How far can we go? And I like that analogy of being a king and queen. It, it's kind of like, do I want to be the the sole thing in a small pie or do I want to be a piece of a larger pie? And then what does that look like? And there's no right or wrong answer. I, I truly believe that it's dependent upon the person and how they're in it. You know, I love founders. I love working with founders. I love being a founder because there's so much heart and grit that happens in the founder journey. And that's one of the decisions um, that we have to make. It is. It definitely is. And it's okay if that decision changes along the way. I feel like it, it speaks volume, like even of like the bigger brands. So I think of like a Hershey's or a Puma where they all started like family brands. And then over the hundred or 200 years that has changed because, but it, but during that, like their lifespan, it was still a family founded brand. And so it's okay for it to be so small because you know, the success doesn't always happen overnight. And oftentimes I feel like we forget that you may see the success. Like I hate that word overnight brand because you don't know what that journey was and how long it took that brand or that person to get it to that point because you're just seeing the results of it. You know, um, you don't see the hard work. You don't see the late nights. You don't see the years, the effort, the money, the energy, the sacrifice behind it. Um, but you just see the success. Um, and it's okay for your journey to start off small, 
um, or start off slow before it gets to that $80 million check. Yeah. And resilience and tenacity. And, yeah. And, you know, that's what it's all about. And um, we are, we're rooting for you. I, I loved how you talked about taking a moment in one of your LinkedIn posts to take time for self-care and, and coming back and maintaining kind of that sense of self while also being a founder and catering to your consumers. So um, I, for one, am excited to see you. I'm excited about what the future holds. I'm thankful that you've been so transparent in your journey um, and that you're here for all of us and sharing. Um, so, so thank you for that. <laughs> well, thank you. And thank you. And thank you for, for having me. Um, most recently, I became a brain trust uh, entrepreneur member, and I would definitely say thank you for creating this platform as a source of information. I know, you know, very early on when I started, it, there was no resource. It was kind of like you had to learn the hard way. Um, and having this platform and this um, this space where there's other brand founders that we can all relate and grow, but also source of information and a wealth of information and a place where you can call and ask for help is very it's priceless. Actually, it's priceless. Yeah. I'm so happy that you're with us. Thank you. And that <laughs> is, um, that was the whole thing. I mean, you know, it's so rewarding um, to go into our app and to see all of the founders, but to be able to ask questions, to be able to have programming. And there's so many ways that we're just trying to make the journey um, easier, right? It's going to be hard, but it goes back to that notion of soft life. And so you know, how can we provide information, access opportunities? We're all doing it, Pharrell. We're all trying to create the platforms um, to help and bringing us together because we just, we understand the journey. So, so thank you for that. So happy to have you as a proud Brain Trust Founder Studio founder. Thank you. Um, I do want to say this. I do want to say to the other founders that are a part of it or even not even a part of it. Um, when it comes to this beauty industry, and you may even see a brand that looks like yours, it's okay um, to just befriend them and have and support them. Where because there's more than enough out here for all of us. And I feel like as an entrepreneur, it's very lonely, particularly in the beauty industry where it's we're all spread out all over the country. Um, where you may need, even if you may need support, just sliding in someone's DM or emailing them and saying, "Hey, can you help me?" Or, hey, would you be open to jumping on a call to just help? Because you don't know what that other person may be going through. And you may be some source of support or help or an, even an ear to help that person get past that journey. Or maybe that person can help you. Just be open to that. Have an open mind and an open heart for all of us to kind of support each other where it's not, um, it doesn't have to be so competitive, you know, because it's more than enough for everyone. I love that you said that. Um, and there really is. And each person has a unique story. No matter if you came from the same place, you had similar ideas. Um, every founder has something that makes them special and unique. And it's that support. And with that, great segue. Um, we always like to ask our guests, what's another brand that you're coveting, that you love, that you're supporting? And so on the words of what you said, like, let us all be supportive and not competitive. What's another brand that you'd love to share? Okay, so the brand that I'm obsessed with right now is LYS. Ooh. Yes. I'm obsessed yes. with LYS. Yes. Yes. So um, 
I've always been a Sephora junkie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, unfortunately, where I live, she oh, she doesn't have a really big section, but I'm in there just always buying her products. I just love the brand ethos. I love her packaging. I love her marketing. I love her messaging. Um, I love the diversity of the color selection. I love the formulation. And it's the only thing I'm wearing right now, actually. I just love that brand right now. Tish is amazing. She's been on the show. She's also another fellow founder um, in the Founder Studio, and she um, is just phenomenal. So it's you, you truly are embodying um, everything that we talk about from supporting each other, championing each other, knowing that there is room for all of us, and really just how we can evoke mentorship and support. And so Barbara, this has been fantastic. I'm so excited um, to be part of your founder journey. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for having me. Thank you for allowing me to share my story and my voice. And every week I share an influencer I'm checking out. And thanks to Barbara, make sure to follow LYS Beauty. That is LYS Beauty and at L-Y-S Beauty Official on Instagram. It's founded by one of our Brain Trust founders, studio founders, Tisha Thompson. Make sure that you check it out. And as always, I want to leave you with one thing from today's guest. And that is, do you want to be the king and queen of something small? Or do you want to be part of something bigger than you could ever imagine? And with that, Follow, rate, and subscribe to Business of the Beat on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You don't want to miss an episode, and we'd love to hear from you. Leave a five-star rating and a review. See you next week. Business of the Beat is hosted by Kendra Bracken-Ferguson, assistant producer Jenny Salk, executive producer Kendra Bracken-Ferguson, edited by Fishmar Creative, executive producer Ken Johnson. Find the Business of the Beat podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Odyssey, Amazon Music, or where you get your podcast, and on IG at Business of the Beat. Business of the Beat is a mean old line media production. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply.